Number 195, as we mark that and use that a bit later in the service this morning, it would again be appropriate to express, even as Roger has already done, the appreciation that we have to be here today, our membership, our visitors alike, and we trust that the service will be truly uplifting and more importantly, drawing us close to the kind of worship that God would certainly have us to be. It is the case, as we continue our particular study of the New Testament this year, it is true that these opening thoughts on this next slide will be a reminder of that which we have accomplished to this point. We set before ourselves to read through the entirety of the Word of God, both Old and New Testament. And as we did that, following that reading plan that is listed week by week in the bulletin and also available in one complete sheet that covers the entire year, at this point, you and I have so far read some 37 chapters of the Word of God. That brings us to about 3.1% of its totality. It is true, we've already, though, been reminded of and come face to face with so many dramatic and powerful truths that really have been etched into the human family from almost the very time of the beginning. Today, as we come to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew the 5th, 6th, and 7th chapters, it is the case that that has been regarded as one of the monumentally greatest sermons ever preached. There have been those who have in fact lifted it so high and placed it in such a zenith of position that it captivates as we give thought to all the topics our Savior addressed. I would submit to you though somewhat shockingly, there have been those who have looked upon the Sermon on the Mount with a bit of distaste. They have claimed that it is so lofty and the standards which it sets are so high that it's not practical. I beg to differ with them just as I'm sure you would. This is intended for you and for me to guide us to the kind of life God would have us to understand and to strive to in fact live in harmony with it. He did not say that it would be easy. He did not say that it would be trivial to accomplish it. But He did set before us this standard a standard that was highlighted in the very text that Brother Colonel read earlier. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. I would invite you to think with me for the next few moments about what it means to be perfect in the way that the Lord described it. What kind of perfection is that? What kind of life would be described by that kind of perfection? I hope as we discuss that over the next few moments that we will be reminded that this is something you and I can do. It is something that's attainable. It is something that in fact can be descriptive of the kind of life and what a special, valuable, meaningful, and far-reaching life that really is. As we begin that journey, I hope that you have your Bible and you'll be turning to the Sermon on the Mount because we'll be looking at a number of verses in chapters 5, 6, and 7. This matter about be ye therefore perfect, it does start with our relationship with God, doesn't it? That is the foundation upon which the other attributes of this perfection are presented. Thus, let's begin a description. What does it mean to be perfect in relationship, in one's consideration with God? It is so very true, isn't it, that our life, as you and I live it here in the flesh, is a life that is surrounded, in fact, almost completely so, with pitfalls, dangers, issues that distract and draw us aside from the matter of relationship with God. But isn't it still the case, and the Lord said so, that that is the matter of greatest significance. 
Look at some of these verses with me if you would. In this very Sermon on the Mount, Jesus in Matthew 6 verse 33, He said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. We each have noted on so many occasions, He did not say, Seek ye the kingdom of God. He said, Seek that kingdom first. I might take just a moment then and ask us to parse that sentence personally and individually. Am I putting the kingdom first? Are you putting the kingdom first in your life? Or are you putting profession, career, wealth, money, fame and fortune from the human family? All those choices are individually given to all of us. And yet, in the midst of a context in which Jesus said you cannot serve God in mammon, you can in fact serve each one of them at the same time. He then included this statement, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. As the Lord made reference to that comment, in the midst of food, in the midst of shelter, in the midst of clothing, He said this is the matter that must be of highest preeminence. That preeminence of putting the kingdom first reverberates all throughout this Sermon on the Mount. Back in verse 6 of chapter 5, the Lord said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Didn't He say two verses later, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That's just two of those well-known Beatitudes, isn't it? But might I ask, what about the hunger that you and I feel for righteousness? Many times we have hunger for bread and steak and fish and meat and all other things, and we enjoy it immensely. But there should be a hunger that burns within us for righteousness and it's found only by satisfaction from the Word of God and that hunger is what the Lord said it will lead to our fulfillment. Do you and I hunger for that? Have we set before us in 2014 a hunger for righteousness and godliness? You'll notice that that only leads us to another verse. The very one that Brother Colonel read and the one that is the primary topic for today. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. We shall describe in a moment the fullness of what's involved in that passage. One of the first things to appreciate surely is you and I often employ the word perfect as indicative of and descriptive of that which is without mistake, that which is without any flaw, that which is without anything that's less than ideal. That's not the meaning of the Greek word here. This Greek word, as we shall soon see, has the idea of lacking no immaturity. That which is complete. That which has grown to maturity. In other words, the Lord is admonishing you and me to grow up spiritually. To reach for and to attain that which is complete from a spiritual perspective. No wonder in light of that, look at some of the other ways that the Master encourages us relative to that idea in these verses. Back in verses 13 to 16, may I ask this question. Verse 16 in summary says, interestingly, Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Question. Can you and I be so tempted as we might well wish that they would see you and glorify you? That's not what the Master said. Glorify your Father which is in heaven. 
the attention mustn't rest with you and me as a glorified thing, must, must it? Beyond that, appreciate this application. We mentioned earlier about seeking first the kingdom of God, and yet in this same Sermon on the Mount, the Lord said, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. Matthew 6, verses 19 and following. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, for thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where is your treasure and where is mine? The Lord in this passage spoke, of course, to individuals physically in the flesh who were living roughly 20 centuries ago. Many of them were no doubt very poor. Many of them no doubt were at a great dearth of physical possessions. But many of them quite likely were greatly blessed with abundance physically. And yet to all of them the Lord challenged them by saying, Lay up treasures in heaven. Today it doesn't matter whether you and I are millionaires or whether we're paupers living literally from handful to handful. That message is still as pertinent, it is still as needful, and it is still as directive of life as it was then. Where is your treasure and mine? If it's laid up here, then you, my friend, and I as well, are making a gigantic and eternally significant mistake. It must be laid up ultimately in heaven. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I suppose we can then ask, where is your heart and mine? No wonder the next item on the list challenges us in regard to many who will try to mislead us. In Matthew 7, verses 15 and following, same Sermon on the Mount, the Lord on this occasion drew our attention to those who will try to misdirect us, mislead us, those whom He called the false prophets. It is true that you and I must be careful and mindfully so about the fact that treasures are to be laid up naturally in heaven. Is it any wonder then you're the close of that? Prayer is an integral part of maintaining this relationship with God and the maintenance of that prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What a tremendous model for prayer the addressing of God, the lifting high and the adoration of His name, the immediate statement about Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven, the plea and humbly so that His will will be accomplished as thoroughly and fully upon the earth as it is in heaven. Included in that prayer is thanks for the provision of God on a daily basis. Give us this day our daily bread. Mention is made about the matter of forgiveness and the greatness of what God has offered us through the Christ. Through it all, in regard to that, consider the promise also found in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 7, verses 7 and following, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door shall be opened unto you. For to everyone that asketh receiveth, and to him that seeketh findeth, and he that knocketh, to him the door shall be opened. God does love you and me, and He does want to provide those things that we need. It is true that he does describe that in the verses that follow as, as indicative of those that are his children. If you and I are not a child of God, a faithful member of his kingdom, do we have any right to expect goodness from the master, from the king? Might we say, doesn't that point how needful it is you and I be a Christian, a faithful follower of His, so that those promises can in fact be ours?
That entire slide was a reflection of our relationship with God. How are you doing and how am I doing? Is there room for improvement? Is there room for included perfection, a continual striving for maturity? You can answer that for yourself as well as I can for me. But you'll notice it doesn't change what was ended in verse 48. Let's turn our attention then explicitly to that verse. Be ye therefore perfect. That word perfect, again, as you can see, it means to be mature, to be total, not partial. We each know what it's like to be partial. There's a hollowness there. There's something that's lacking. There's something that's not full in terms of its growth. In this verse, Jesus is urging you and me, commanding, if you please, a striving for and reaching unto spiritual maturity. You'll notice in that there's so much through a lifetime then to be mastered. The Christian life doesn't change overnight. We know the moment that we're baptized, the moment we rise from that watery grave, we've begun the life in Christ. At that moment, we haven't reached the finest and highest echelon of perfection. We're going to work toward it though, aren't we? How are you working toward it? Is this year 2014, are you reaching closer to that level of not partial? I trust that you are. That's one of the reasons, of course, that we have striven to read through the Word of God, to allow all of its components and aspects to touch our life. You'll notice beyond that, though, it immediately takes us back to verses 13 to 16 of chapter 5. For a moment ago, we asserted that our relationship with God comes first, but notice what apparently quickly follows it. Verse 13, "...ye are the salt of the earth." But if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. You'll notice those three verses precede the very one that we noted earlier. A city set on a hill the salt of the earth, that which is like a light. Your life and mine is compared to that. Are you illuminating the pathways for those around you? Are you showing forth to them your completeness and faith for the Lord? Or are you and I hiding our faith under a bushel? Do we choose not to set it forth? Are we concealing it? That's a challenge that we never seemingly lose, is it? Are you and I defending the faith as Paul himself did in Philippians 1.17? He said, I am set for the defense of the gospel. Are you? Am I? These are challenging questions and they are part of reaching under that matter of perfection, aren't they? As you can see, beyond that, our relationship with others is highlighted in the very fact of Matthew 5 verse 22. I invite you to read that particular passage. As we observe, he said... I'll start in verse 21. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. As you know, beginning in verse 21, there is a powerful sequence of presentations in which Jesus would say, You've heard that it has been said. But every time He then says, But I say unto you. 
he first notes to them what they have known from the law of Moses. And then he extends it, he perfects it, he lifts it to a higher degree when he says, but this shall be what I expect of you under the banner of truth and the gospel. In verse 21, you've heard you're not supposed to kill. Don't commit murder. That's a quotation, of course, from the Ten Commandments in which Moses, speaking, of course, the words of God to the ancient people of Israel, said, Thou shalt not kill. They knew that very, very well. But note what comes next in verse 22. But I say unto you, we today understand so thoroughly, so perfectly, the fact that we aren't to go out and take the life of somebody else. We are not to kill them. But now verse 22 says that whosoever is angry with his brother without a call shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother Rekha shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire. You did notice the reference to the judgment in verse 21. Notice the same reference occurs in verse 22. As you and I seek to make application of that, how interesting. For you and I know that one of the great things that the Jews were so guilty of is they would see the letter of the law. So I'm not supposed to take another's life. When it comes to adultery, I'm not supposed to sleep with his wife. When it came to the other features, they knew what the letter was. But the Lord, through these verses illustrates to them they fail to make the greatest application of all. What about your heart? If you're angry with your brother without a cause, you're just as guilty as if you've taken his life. If you're angry with your brother without a cause and you call him an insulting name like thou fool, you are just as guilty in the sight of God. Doesn't that challenge us to think today, what about our application of the same? You and I may never with a gun, a knife, a sword, or anything else, take someone's physical life. But do we ever refer to them with names similar to these in verse 22? Rekha. That word Rekha, as you can see, it basically is an ancient Aramaic term that has reference to an insulting name that references empty-headedness. You bonehead. Well, you and I, when we think about the way that they would have called someone by that name, we have our own terms that we use today. Are you and I quick in a moment of anger when our temper slips from us? Do we call someone a, a type of phrase that refers to an empty-headedness? You dumbo. You'll notice the last thing on the list. This thou fool. So whereas that Rekha has reference to an empty head... Thou fool refers to one who is senseless, one who uses the faculties but is completely devoid of the application to the evidence of what's about them. Again, are you and I tempted to lose our thoughts in that regard? Do we call the individuals' names in these ways? May I ask that if we are, we have violated then the premise of that same law that was uttered in Exodus chapter 20. It was the intent all along for the premise of that to reach deeper than not just the literal committing of murder, but what's in your heart? Isn't that what the John wrote in 1 John 4? He said, if you hate your brother, you've committed murder against him. That's what John wrote. 
you see, then the whole premise of these matters take us to ask, do we control our tongue? Do we call people names, whether it be bonehead, blockhead, dumbo, whatever the case may be? We've all heard it. May we be cautious and may we be very careful because it indicates something about our heart. Do we really love that person if we're calling them names like that? Are we really concerned about their spiritual well-being if we call them names like that? After all, we do know we would not want them to call us that. And yet in Matthew 7 verse 12 he says, Whatsoever ye would that men should do unto you, do ye even so unto them. I believe we'd all quickly agree this, this attribute of perfection or completeness as we've described it, that's hard. All of us have a tendency, I suppose, in anger and in matters of difficulty to let words slip from our heart. I would urge all of us again to be very careful. You'll notice that things continue. As we also think about other attributes of our relationship with others and how that the salt of the earth should be a part of our presentation before them, I would take you again to that text in 1 John. The Lord identified for us in these verses, but I say unto you, you and I live beneath a better covenant, a greater covenant, a finer covenant, a more perfect covenant. And in this covenant, you and I are called upon to strive for maturity. Look at the way these things are presented. Just as surely as they, the Jews, thought that because I've never really taken a life, I've kept that commandment, that sixth of the Ten Commandments. Jesus in these verses, though, dug much deeper than that. What about the way, have you helped your brother? Have you hated him? Have you called him names? Have you, in fact, acted toward him in these ways? If so, you are also guilty before the judgment. Today, 20 centuries later, in a media that is so quick, something happens anywhere in the world and you and I know it. We have iPads and iPhones and emails and radio and television and Internet and on and on the list goes. And how often do we hear those who call others names and, and they seemingly make fun of it. They take it with such lightness. May I suggest that the Lord didn't take it so lightly, did He? Maybe that lightness leads us to observe in verse 38 and following. You and I are admonished rather than called names in those ways, He said. You have heard that it hath been said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at thy, at thy law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. Again, throughout all of this, the Lord listed for them that with which they were familiar. They had heard rabbis teach this all their lives. And now the Lord was adding beyond that, you've heard this, but let me tell you something. Go that extra mile. Are you and I friendly? Are you and I individuals indicative of that light of the world, that city set on a hill? It is true, as you come to verse 43, he says, You've heard it said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. 
We live in a world where that is the gospel preached by many. If someone's been good to you, you be good to them. But if someone has been a little contrary to you, you have every right to be just as contrary with them. I would ask you to listen to what the Lord said. But I say unto you, verse 44, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. I'd be the first to say that is hard. If there's someone who really has, has been out to get you, it's difficult to word a heartfelt prayer of desire on their part. But the Lord said to do it. It's up to you and me as Christians to be the better individuals. It's up to us to bury the hatchets. It's up to us not to bury it in their back, but to bury it otherwise, right? As the Lord made these statements to those of that day, verse 45 continues by saying, "...that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven." I promised you and we all knew that these are not easy. Being perfect, being mature like the Lord has described it here is a timeless effort. But it is something that you and I must strive for, isn't it? As you appreciate the way that that chapter closes, you and I have before us what occurs at the bottom of that slide. When someone asks of us to forgive them, and they have illustrated that. You and I are told in Luke 17, 3, that we should be dutiful because God has been forgiving of us. And we also understand just as well in Matthew 7, verses 1 and following, that the human condition is also stated rather easily and rather well. Judge not that ye be not judged, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged, and with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured unto you again. You and I must be very quick in terms of, of course, rightly judging the actions of others, but to do so in light of the revelation of the Word of God. Your opinion and mine when it comes to matters like that is not the issue of importance. We are to judge righteous judgment, John seven twenty four. In that matter of judgment, one last thing remains in the lesson this morning. We began by observing... Our relationship with God came first. It emanated in our relationship with others. We'd be remiss not to observe the way it concludes. What about the implications for yourself and myself, our individual responsibilities? We certainly have touched upon so many of them already. But yet the dangers are so present, and they often can be so enticing. Much of chapter 6, in fact the first half of it, identifies the great tendency that is the human desire for glorification of self. Three times and in three different ways Jesus spoke about it like this. When you fast, do not do it to be seen of others. When you pray, do not do it so that others will be impressed with your eloquence and your fine language. Furthermore, when you give alms, do not do it so that others will see and compliment. Interesting, isn't it? And yet, have you and I not known of individuals, maybe even we ourselves have been tempted at times, for others to notice what I've done, to be appreciative of what I've done, and to be sure to state the thanksgiving to me. If that's true, I've erred, and so too have you. That ought not be the reason we do it. If others wish to observe and compliment, that's fine. 
But may you and I never allow it to make us a big head. And may we never allow it to lift us to the point that we take the credit for ourselves. What happened to Moses when he took the credit to himself back in Numbers chapter 20? God said, Moses, you take that staff and you speak to the rock, and out of it shall come forth water so much needed for the children of Israel. Moses in dutifulness took that staff that was in his hand, but then he struck the rock twice. And then he made this statement, Shall we fetch you water out of this rock? Did you notice his emphasis on we, what I am able to do? We each remember what happened. God did bring forth the water, but not because it was the power of Moses, because it was the power of God. And not only that, Moses, because you did not believe me in the sight of the people, you will not be able to enter the land of Canaan. Moses was stricken at that point forward. Himself, though he led the children of Israel for so long, he himself never set a foot into the promised land. I think all of us can see it's serious business to take God's glory to ourselves. May we be thankful for the talents, the abilities, the possibilities He's given us, but may we not take it to ourselves in as much as we think we've done it. No wonder in light of that, how wise we should be to hear the very instruction of God, sufficient unto the days the evil thereof, Matthew 6, 34. And Matthew 7, verses 24 and following, that final reminder, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Like that wise man that built his house, of course, on a rock. He's the one that heard what God said and did it. You and I perhaps can make all kinds of excuses for some of the things that we have heard Jesus say in this lesson this morning. But Jesus, I can't do that. You don't know the people I work with. You have no idea what it's like to be in this class with these people that hate me. I do not see any statements that the Lord ever made except in this case or except in that case. Every situation that you encounter in life and me as well is such that this is still what God has said. Be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. As you think about one of the final remarks then, isn't it amazing that all this emanates, and you and I have seen it more than once, into the employment of your speech and mine. In the heart of chapter number 5, I would again ask you to notice verses 33 and following. Again, Jesus said, You've heard it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto thee, Swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it's God's throne, nor by the earth, for it's His footstool, neither by, the great, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great King. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil." As we close this lesson in that final observation, our language has appeared before us one more time. Let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay. Often you and I err when we strive to go beyond simply the directness of yes and no. We amplify, we exaggerate, we obfuscate, we do any number of other things, all of which stray from the directness and simplicity 
of what the Lord commanded of us. As we think about that kind of explanation, I would urge you this morning to close all of this lesson with one interesting observation. It's verse 6 of chapter 7. Cast not your pearls before swine. Maybe that has been a passage that's troubled you. Maybe it's been a matter that has caused you no small amount of concern. What did the Lord mean? Don't cast my pearls before hogs. May I say, in many ways, the meaning is pretty straightforward. As you and I think about the value of spiritual things, those pearls, the greatness of the Word of God, the characteristic of godly living, and all, of course, that goes along with that, don't cast it before, per, uh, before pigs, before swine. As you live the Christian life, there will be others that will make fun of you. There will be others that will distaste, have a distaste for what you stand for. They won't agree with you. Behind your back, they often will make fun of you. As all of that takes place and you strive to set before them the fullness of this example of perfection we've studied today, don't ever let them dissuade you. Because these things of God are more important than your friendship with them. But not only that, if you begin to compromise, if you begin to lose heart or confidence in the things of God, in essence, as you continue to cast them, what does a hog do to jewelry? Jewelry is of no interest to a pig. It wants corn and slop. It wants something it can root around in. It treats that which is valuable as that which is not valuable. May you and I never treat what's valuable as what's invaluable. What the world holds as valuable isn't. It'll wash away in the stream of time, and on the day of judgment it'll mean nothing. It will not get one into heaven. Don't cast your pearls before swine. Today, where do you stand before God? Have you obeyed the gospel? Only those that do will be saved from hell, according to 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 7 through 9. If you haven't attended that today, let today be the day. You're told to believe with all your heart that Jesus is the Son of God, John 8, 24. You're commanded to repent of those sins, things that you've committed that, of course, are against the law of God, that commandment found in Acts 2.38. Each one's commanded to confess with the mouth Jesus is the Son of God. That statement of Romans 10, verse 10. And finally, you're commanded to be baptized for the remission of sins. That's an immersion in water so that God will forgive you of sin, Acts 22, 16. If we could assist you in that way today, you could begin your walk with Christ. We would assist you in that. You could come forth washed from every sin you've ever committed, clean and pure and white and ready to walk a road of perfection into heaven ever and forevermore. If today we could be of assistance to you, it may be that you've wandered from the fold of safety. Maybe you've started talking, calling people names. You've used speech and language that's unbecoming of a Christian. Make things right with those with whom you've spoken that, but first and foremost with God. You need to let others know that you have had a change of heart and mind. Why not this very day come, ask for prayers of brethren for your forgiveness? We have an example of that in Acts 8, verses 20 and following. If today we could be of help to you in any way, why not come even now while together we stand and while we sing?